you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 102. We're just taking our Reformation Sunday break from our study of the book of 2 Timothy. And so we want to bring about our understanding and try to tie in again the Reformation Sunday and how it's applicable to us. And again, you've seen how we've added some things. Obviously, I'm in my robe, okay, and it's because I spent a lot of money for this. And so I have to have at least one Sunday that I get to wear this. And so, no, it's the understanding was that the people wore the robe, especially this Genevan robe, to make sure that you see uh, the word of God and not the person. So it wasn't about the pastor. It wasn't about the church even. It is, what, is about what the word of God is and how it speaks to us even today. And so as I stand here, uh, again, Coleman's brought about some of the things, but there are some bad things happening in the church. And so there's things like indulgences. Tetzel was walking around to different towns and uh, he would have things where he would actually burn his flesh. Um, and then he would say, this is you burning in hell if you don't give some more money. Because we need to build the church. We need to build St. Peter's. We need to have you give money so that he can have a good living. So if you can just give more money, then we'll make sure that you get out of purgatory. Now, Listen, if I could do that for you, I would. That makes life a whole lot simpler, doesn't it? If you could sit there and go, if I only give this amount of money from my checkbook, I can be guaranteed that I go to heaven, I'm in. But see, even today, I mean, one of the things that I struggled with was the sense of making that prayer, that one prayer. If you just said this prayer, you can be guaranteed that you're going to go to heaven. So, but I find myself saying that prayer a lot because I wasn't falling in love with Jesus. I wasn't a good kid. So we have to make sure that we're not falling into this understanding of just being religious or spiritual. And so not only were there indulgences, not only was there this understanding of trying to sell salvation, but again, people were just going through the motions. As, uh, as Coleman's already told you, it was spoken in Latin. And again, most of the priests during this time period didn't even believe what they were saying. And so they're going through Latin, they're, they're spouting off these things, and the people who are sitting there don't understand Latin, and they're just going through the motions. And so again, we, we need to make sure that we're reminded of this, because that can become very true of us. We can be coming to church and we can be going through the motions and not have an encounter with the living God. And so the Reformation came by with people like Luther and Calvin, Knox, Farrell, Debezzi, people who were about bringing about spiritual awakening because it needed to happen. And because it needed to happen, the, the statement that comes out of the Reformation are these words, post Tenebrous lux, after darkness, light. So as we come to Psalm 102, I'm just going to be reading the Bible as I go through the, the points because it's so long. But I want you to understand what does it mean for us to be reformed and be reforming. 
constantly. So my prayer for us as we go is very simple, and I want you to, I don't want you to speak this out loud, but as I pray this prayer, I want you to just pray back, God, speak to me. God, you speak to me this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, by your spirit, speak your words to us through your words spoken and your word read. And Father, you speak to us this morning, your words of life. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 102, we're going to be looking at three different parts of the section. And the first part we're going to be looking at are verses 1 through 11. And verses 1 through 11 is a lament. And so this is the, the, the person who's coming with an affliction. So hear the word. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass, and it is withered. I forgot to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. And I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. And I lie awake, and I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the days my enemies taunt me, and those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down, and my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. So here we have someone asking for God to hear his prayers. And the first thing he starts with is a lament for himself. And again, he doesn't just go through a formal prayer. Because if you are paying attention, there are six times, six times where this person cries out of saying, God, hear my cry. Hear my prayer. Lord, listen to me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten to the place where you're just thinking, God, are you hiding from me? Do you not incline your ear to me? Do you not know that I am here? This reminded me of people who sing the national anthem because, again, it's something, obviously, in our country where we sing quite often. We have it played at many events, and most of us pretty much just sing it, kind of go through the motions. It's what we do. We're Americans. Yay! But then there's also times where you can hear somebody who takes the national anthem and sings it perfectly. And you can listen to it and you go, man, that, that was beautiful. But those aren't the people I want to listen to. The people I want to listen to are the veterans. When I'm with other veterans and they sing the national anthem, there's something more there from their heart that makes that song resonate. This is what's going on with this person who's crying out. Maybe, maybe for the first time he's being honest in prayer. God, where are you? And as he cries out, he starts to tell about his sickness. And the sickness is a very real thing. He's physically ill. 
He's physically ill and he's dealing with it, but there's also, and we get this because a lot of times we say, well, this situation just makes me sick. And we get that, so when we see the things around us, we know that we're feeling ill, we're feeling sick, and he says, I'm in isolation, I'm alone, I'm an owl in a wasteland. God, where are you? So he laments for himself, and he cries out to God, but he also laments for Zion, or what we would know as Jerusalem. Or we might clarify it in regards to the church. Because here, uh, again, this, they're understanding that this could have been written during the Babylonian captivity. So the people of God have been taken away. They're in captivity. They're away from the promised land. And so they're crying out to God. And so, But why are they crying out to God? Because the people of God had compromised. They had gone about um, where they neglected the word. And again, we live in a day and age where, again, we're not having to read the scripture in Latin. We're not having to go back to Greek and Hebrew. We have it in all the languages, most all languages of the world. Not all of them, but close. And we have it in our devices. We have it on our computers. You can get it for free. So we have the most access to the word, and yet it's probably the most underused thing that we have. Even people within the church are not reading the scripture. People during the Reformation were dying, literally dying, to translate the scripture into the common language so people could have the word of God in their own tongue. Don't neglect the word of God. It's why we have the opportunities to read through the Bible multiple different ways. And if you've given up, start again. And don't go back. Don't do this and go, oh, well, and i got to catch up from uh, January of last year to catch me up to this point. Don't do that. Start with today. Read the scripture. Apply it. Know where it is. But also, not only was the scripture neglected, but the house was abandoned. And we get that because, again, uh, if, we're, if we look at our church a lot of times, it's about entertainment. It's about me. We make a, a very specific thing in here at Northside of saying we come to worship an audience of one. So it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God thinks in response to how we worship. Joe Novitson was is a pastor up in Lookout Mountain, uh, where I went to uh, college, and uh, a great guy. But I remember one time him saying this kind of things. He says, "I want to come to worship with a crash helmet on. I want to come to worship with a crash helmet on because I'm coming to meet the living God, and I don't care if there are people spitting on me on the sidewalks as I come into the church. I'm going to come and worship my Lord and Savior." And I'm like, Joe, that's a little much. It's really not. Are we so in love with Jesus Christ that our desire is to be here, to be in fellowship, to be with one another, or do we find ourselves um, coming up with excuses? Oh, it's raining today. Let's just stay home and watch it on the television. I'm a little tired. Let's just stay home. Now, I get that. 
And I'm not saying there aren't times where you should not stay home. My question to you is, did you pray about it? God, where do you want me today? And he might, the Holy Spirit might answer and say, you need to stay home today. Put your feet up. Watch online. Drink your coffee. Enjoy your Savior. There might be other times that he says, my desire is for you to be with the people. And not for what you get out of it, but maybe you're there as a blessing for others. I need you. You need me. We need one another. Not in superficial ways, but at a heart level where we engage one another. So we need to make sure that we are lamenting for the church because we want God to use the church to bring about the change that's needed. But there's also a lament, not just for himself, not just for Zion, but a lament for the Lord. He's saying there is reproach all day long. His name, God's name, was used as mockery. There are punchlines and jokes. And he finds himself weeping because he doesn't even know why he's suffering. Again, we've all been there. If you have walked the Christian life for any length of time, there are times where we cry out like this person of saying, God, where are you? I don't even know why you're putting me through this. I'm struggling. I'm weeping. I'm overwhelmed. I need you. But then we get to verse 12. Verse 12 through 22. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. For it is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. For nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners. To set free those who are doomed to die. That they might declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And in Jerusalem his praise. And when the peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. So he goes from this lament to this cry of, but you, O Lord... And he reminds himself and he reminds us that God is faithful. God is faithful forever. There is never a time where God isn't faithful. And not only is he faithful forever, but he's sovereign in his oversight of us. Which means that our lives are not random acts. I told you last week, he set before us our race. It's not the same race with everybody. Some people deal with sicknesses. Some people deal with death. Some people deal with trials and tribulations. Some people lose their job. Some people lose their spouses. All of our races are different. But God has put our race together and he says, run the race with your eyes focused upon the triumph of Jesus Christ. 
And so as we keep our eyes focused, we have to remind ourselves that everything in our lives is not random. It's not fate. Don't go to Disney World. Fate doesn't step in. God is in control at all times. The understanding for us is do we trust him and do we act upon it? Remember the statement, the person who prays for rain is the one who carries the umbrella. If you pray for rain and you don't carry the umbrella, then you're not believing. You're not acting upon the belief that God is who he says he is. We are called to be about believing that God is sovereign and he's forever reigning upon his throne. And not only that, he's forever reigning in mercy. For he gave to us an investment of his son. And so this person cries out in lament, and he cries out in the midst of this captivity. And remember, it's undeserved. They deserve to be in captivity. God, listen, God does not owe us anything. But pastor, you don't understand. I do understand. There are many times where I cried out and said, you know what, God, you need to do this for me. Why do we do that? It's part of our sin nature, right? God, you need to do this for me. You owe me. But he doesn't owe us anything. Steve Brown gives this quote in regards to the gospel. He says it is far easier to hug a messy kid than a clean one. Now, why does he say that? What's the, what's the purpose behind that? When you see people when they are in, in competitions or everything like that, and they go and they go to hug their parents or other mates that were on the team with them or whatever, they don't care that they're hot and sweaty, nasty, smelly. They come and they throw their arms around the person they love. When you go to hug somebody at the wedding, if it's, bef- if, if it's before the pictures, don't wrinkle me. I, I don't want to sweat. I don't want my makeup to run. All the pictures are going to be good. Don't touch me. God's saying we need to come like the messy child. We run back to God crying out for mercy and grace because he is there to answer our prayer and he's there with open arms to engulf us within his loving care. And so we have this understanding that God is faithful, but then this person also goes into a process of intercessory prayer. And the things that he prays for is he prays first for the church. He prays for a new reformation. God, please continue to reform this earth, these people, the arts. It's one of the things we're going to do starting in the new year. We're going to have different arts coming in to to celebrate so that we can go out. Because this earth is God's earth. It's not Satan's. And so we're going to celebrate everything that we have because it is God. And we're going to glorify him in the midst of all things. And so we want to continue to reform and to to be reforming. We have to be faithful, faithful in our witness. We have to go out and be the church. Not just in word only. We have to be the hands and the feet. We have to be ministering to one another. We have to be ministering in our community. 
in our world faithfully. But only we to be faithful, we were to have the power of God. How many of us try to be our own saviors? I've told you this story before of a, of a friend who's a pastor and his kids, you know, he was a pastor, so he preached to his kids all the time. Trust Jesus, trust Jesus. And one of his teenage sons finally said, Dad, you tell us to trust Jesus, but then you come in and fix it every time. Can we trust Jesus? It's why God puts us in places like Gideon, right? Gideon had to take an army that was still overmatched by human standards and whittle it down to 300. Why? So that God gets the credit. We want to be about God's stories. We want Him to get the glory. It's the things that, with building this building, I found myself, again, we were, we were praying, the elders and, and the leadership and stuff like that, God, if you would at least give us um, $300,000 in pledges, then we'll think that we can move forward with the building. But as time got closer and time got closer, I was just like, all right, God, if you give us two fifty. God, if you give us 200, if we got 200,000, does that still mean we're supposed to continue to build? God gave us over 300,000 just with leadership. Over 500,000 with the people. And what do the banks say? Well, you're never going to get all that money to come in. We had people give above and beyond. Does that mean you stop giving? No, we still got to pay off the bill. But we want to pay off the bill before the balloon. But God is the one who gets the glory, not Northside, not us. And so we want to make sure that we come in the power of God, but we want to do it for the love of Jesus. Again, I... I grew up very religious, and I told you, I said the prayer. I believed it. I said the prayer. I thought if I got hit, I, I believed the person. If I got hit that night by a bus, because I said the prayer, I was going to heaven. But that was the extent of my relationship with Jesus. I had to have someone come in and begin to disciple me, and he actually say this, these words to me, Jeff, I don't think you're a Christian. Well, wait a minute, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus was resurrected. I believe that Jesus went to heaven. Well, so does Satan. Oh, yeah. So what's the difference, Jeff? Have you repented and believed and trust the Lord as your Savior and want to live and glorify and honor Him? Or do you want to honor yourself? See, that was the struggle. So, again, I, I had to find out what does it mean to have a love relationship with Jesus. And you might have been going to church for many years, and you're just simply going through the motions. And Jesus to you is simply something other. I know about Jesus. But do you know him intimately? Do you grow in love with him daily, weekly? See, that's what he's calling us to. And he calls the church to be that, but he also calls us to a place of evangelism. And he said that there has to be a gospel compassion for all the nations. We need to go out into all the world to preach the gospel. 
And not only does he say there's supposed to be evangelism explosion, but there's also supposed to be for the future generations. Again, I believe that children are the church of today, not the church of tomorrow. Get that junk out of your head. Be allowing our children to be a part of the church now. Teach them that they are important to the Lord and Savior now. Let them be involved now. And as we have opportunity, I ask these two questions. Who are you praying for in the next generation? Again, one of the best ministries I had out in in Colorado was I had 300 teenagers in my youth ministry. 300. So I had the opportunity to ask the people within the congregation. I said, don't pray for the youth ministry big picture. Because that's too easy and it's too scary. I don't like teenagers. God doesn't call me to youth ministry. I really don't like children. I get it. I said, pray for these children specifically by name, constantly. And one of my best prayers, prayers in that ministry was an old lady. And she prayed for those teenagers weekly and would ask them how they're doing and go up to them and ask them and be a part of their birthdays to where she was starting to get invited to their graduations and their weddings and things for their children. Someone who didn't like teenagers. Who are you praying for for the next generation? And then hold them accountable. Pick them. Look around. Pick someone younger than you. If you're way old, pick some of the mid-range people. But grab them. Talk to them. Hold them accountable. Pray for them by name. And as we pray for the future generation, he also prayed for the persecuted church around the world. So he has to lament. He comes back to, but you, O Lord... And then he finishes with an understanding that we shall dwell secure. Verses 23 through 28. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, yet whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, and you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. So here we have, we shall dwell secure. And we have it because there's an immutability of God. And what does that mean? It means it's a concept that we don't fully grasp and understand. So what does immutability mean? It means that God is unchanging. We see it in Psalm 102, verses 26 and 27. And we find it repeated in Hebrews. But it says this, They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. 
So God is unchanging in regards to his essence and to his nature and to his perfections. There is nothing to increase or decrease with God. He lacks nothing and he needs nothing. Well, but wait a minute, Pastor. Doesn't it say in the Bible that God repents? Doesn't it say that God changes his mind? You better read your Bibles well. Because our understanding in regards to that is that God is, is the one who takes care of the means as well as the ends. So does that mean that when I go to prayer that somehow I change God's mind? No. God is perfect. He is unchanging. You don't want a God who changes. If he was to change, we're in a bad place. But in his unchanging, he has ordained the means as well as the ends. So he might answer the prayer because we prayed. Now, do I understand that as your pastor with a great theological degree? And I was high in my class. No, I wasn't high in my class. But I have a, I have a degree. I can read Greek and Hebrew. I've passed my ordination exams. I study the word of God. Do I understand fully the immutability of God? No, I do not. Why? Because I'm not God. And here's an amazing thing. Either are you. We need to trust in the holiness and perfection of an unchanging God to do what he has always done and will continue to do forevermore. So he's immutable, but so is our Savior. So we have this messianic psalm, and this is what they think, because it is quoted in the Hebrews passage. And it says, And you, O Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. For they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no wind. That's our Psalm 102. But then we also get Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, why is that important? Because he is unfailing. His promises are forever true in his performance. He fulfills what he promises. If God promises something to you, he will fulfill it. It's not like us. We forget all the time. How many times did we get those belated birthday greetings? Hey, forgot you were born today. We forget all the time. He never does. And because of that, then we can dwell secure. We shall dwell secure. We can rest because we know that the throne of Christ will endure forever. And so what do we do? We fight the good fight. It's what Jim read for us from Ephesians chapter 6. We take up the word of God. We put on our helmet. We get our feet ready to go and to preach the gospel. We go and we find the sick and we find the hurting. We find the desperate. We go and we preach the gospel and we preach the gospel and we preach the gospel. Why? So that they might come and worship like we do today. But we do it all within the power of Jesus Christ himself. 
He's given us the Holy Spirit to live and, and work in and through us. So that we end with this part of the passage, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is one foundation, and it is true, and it is sure. It's the church. We know it because Jesus said so. And he always fulfills his promises. Amen? So if you're going to lament, lament. Be honest. You have a God that can take it. But you better read your Bible. And you better remember the words, but you, O Lord, forever good, forever true, forever holy, forever and ever and ever to receive glory and honor. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as Coleman has told us earlier, we thank you for those saints and martyrs and those who have gone before us upon whose shoulders we now stand. And Father, as we are called to a new reformation, that we would stand firm on the things that we need to stand firm on. Lord, that we need to stand firm on the word of God. That we need to make sure that we're about the fellowship. That we're about a worship of one. And that we're about reaching your world with the truth of the gospel message. For you are forever true. And you are forever to be worshipped and honored and glorified. So Father, take us weak, messed up individuals. Use us in spite of ourselves. But use us through the power of your Son and the Holy Spirit to change this world, to build your kingdom for it lasts both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. In response to the message, for those who are able, I invite you now to stand and sing with us uh, how firm a foundation. <laughs>